Hey folks, thanks for checking out Missio Church in Manor, Iowa. You are listening to audio recorded at our Sunday morning service. If you'd like any more information on the gospel or would like to learn more about Missio Church, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Missio Mount Air. Get your Bibles back out to Genesis chapter 1. We've been uh, started, we're now four weeks, I think, into our series through Genesis, taking several weeks, working at big picture ideas out of the first, the first three chapters of Genesis. And so we've, we've spoken, uh, God is creator, uh, God um, and his word, he's the God who speaks. We talked about God gives form and function. And now we're moving into just really going to spend several weeks talking about the imago dei, the image of God, uh, the Latin term there, just image of God, imago dei, and that mankind being created in the image and likeness of God and, and all the implications that come from that. So this morning, if we're talking about the imago dei, image bearers, we're talking about humanity, and you think, well, we didn't even discuss this issue. Well, we're going to take three or four weeks in talking about uh, the Imago Dei. So, we're in Genesis chapter 1. Let's look at verse 26 through uh, 31. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 31. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, <coughs> he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with this seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I, will, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God stands forever. I don't think it's a tough sell of how beautiful creation is. Um, how amazing sunsets are, how amazing sunrises are, how amazing it is that we can go from a January, February that was like 50 and 60 and wonderful to just like nine inches of snow covering the ground and all of its, its beauty. And I get to say that because I'm out in it. Like my other, other occupation as the mailman, I am allowed to say snow is beautiful because I actually have to be out working in it. Uh, and so, you know, all of this beauty that we are surrounded with, the breeze, you ever think about the wind how weird it is, and I know we could get into all the meteorology uh, of how the winds work, but just the weirdness of there's winds. 
like you're standing outside and a breeze blows by you. And how incredible it is that God put winds to move our move seed around and all these and cool us off and all these incredible things. But water and snow and clouds. And then you widen out and you think about the solar system. You think about the you look think uh do some astronomy and think about the different galaxies that are out there and all the, you know, you look at the pictures that this new James Webb telescope is putting out of all these pictures of these nebulas and just this incredible beauty that has been created in the world. And then you could also narrow down and think about the, the incredible beauty of, like, at an atomic level, like how all these structures fit together and how the world, like, is... I, I, there's just incredible scientific things to think about how atoms, how it all chemistry and how it all works together. It's just so impressive and so marvelous what God has done. All of these things are amazing. You think about how plants take sunlight, water and soil and then they grow fruit for us to eat. Like, I don't know, it's just weird. Or if you're Andy, you think about this thing lays in the ground for a long time and then a fungus springs up and then you eat that. Like, that's, it's amazing what, what God, how, how marvelous this creation is, this world is. Sorry, that's an inside mushroom joke. But it's, a, <laughs> you know, it's marvelous, all of these things that God has done. And yet, we have not reached the pinnacle of God's creation. The pinnacle of God's creation, that comes at the culmination of day six. Why are none of these incredible realities the pinnacles of God's creation? Now, that's a bold statement, right? To say you look out into the solar system, you look out into the galaxies, you look into the intricacies of cellular life and, and all of these photosynthesis and all this incredible stuff, and you say that's not the pinnacle of what God has done. That's not the most impressive thing that he's done. The pinnacle of his creation... <clears throat> Only one of his creations is stamped with his own image and likeness. We read on in chapter 2 there in Genesis, and it gives us a, a close-up detail of what, how God created male and female, how God created humanity. And it says, he, he personally breathed into them the breath of life. God made mankind not just glorious and beautiful and wonderful, but he made mankind after his own image and his own likeness. Man in his own image, male and female, made in the image and likeness of God. All of humanity made imago dei in the image of God sets man on, it's the pinnacle of his creation. There is something majestic and wonderful and amazing, believe it or not, more amazing about you than the most incredible thing you can look at in the galaxies. Because you are made in the image and likeness of God. You have incredible intrinsic worth and value and dignity just by existing as a human. I mean, that, there you, we cannot, under, we cannot overstate how incredible it is that we are made in the image of God. The, the discovery, the rediscovery of the image of man as Imago Dei, the rediscovery of this requires first that we comprehend how majestic God is, right? We spent a few weeks just talking about God as creator and all that he has done. The God who spoke everything into his existence. The God who gave everything form and function. How majestic, sovereign, awesome, holy he is. And when you rightly comprehend how incredible God is, 
Then the thought that he makes humanity in his image is astonishing. That he imparts to humanity something of his image and likeness. And we'll get into more into what that means. This is why we've tried to emphasize the God-centeredness of the narrative of Scripture in these past three weeks. The comprehending of man can only be truly understood if we work first at comprehending and if we recognize God for who he is. But then as we move on, knowing God to be the sovereign creator, the independent king of all creation, what does it mean to be made in his image? And you can do a lot of reading on this topic, and I encourage you to. I mean, it's incredible. It's a, it's a very dense topic. You'll find uh, references to the image of God in all sorts of books. You weren't expecting to find it. If you're reading anything on anthropology, on mankind, on creation, all sorts of different topics, they'll deal at different points with the reality of being made in the image and likeness of God. So you can read a lot on this topic, but generally it comes down to a few really core ideas regarding what it means to be made in the image of God. Before we get into that, we've, we should notice something that goes on in the text here. And it was brought to my attention, you know, it, not, not that I didn't know it, but it was kind of reemphasized. We need to notice this in the scripture, that there's a change of, of plural, there's a change of person in this, in this dialogue here, right? We've got all through chapter 1, God is saying, God said, let the water swarm. God said, let there be lights. God said, let the earth. God said, let the earth bring forth creatures. And then in verse 26, it switches, and God says, let us make man in our image. There's a plurality change there, right? The God begins to speak in this language of plural. Let us make man in our image. The voice changes into a plural voicing. And you ask, well, why? Well, a lot of people have written about this. There are basically six different ways you can think about this. I'm not going to share all of them. We don't have time to go through all six of them. I will say that I think that likely what is going on here is this uh, verse, verse 27. You read on, right? And so God has this plural language. Then the narrator jumps in here and he says, so God created man in his own image. So even within the text, there's something interesting going on of a plural language and a singular language at the same time. Now, we would not say that Judaism, that Moses, as he's putting down the book of Genesis, had some understanding of the Trinity. Like he fully got, oh, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He, no, I wouldn't anachronistically say that that was what he was thinking back then. But it does lay the seedbed for something interesting that's going on here. There's a plurality of some sort in the Godhead, yet a singularity. He let us make man in our image, so God made man in his image. Something really interesting is going on there. Some say he's speaking to an angelic host. Some say to a council of the gods. No clear answer is given within the text except for this reality. There's something plural multitudinal about God. Let us make man in our image, but yet singular. We are very committed to monotheism, one God and three persons, the mystery, the doctrine of the Trinity, which we could talk a ton about, but we're not going to this morning. Just want to mention it to kind of kick off some thinking for you if you want to dig into Trinitarian theology. The Trinity involved in every area of creation and salvation and, and, uh, and final restoration. So what does it then mean? That was a side note. That was just all off to the side. What does it mean then to be made in God's image? And a couple of big things it has to, it has to mean. 
To be made in God's image first must mean representation of God on earth. This is a fairly common thing that kings would do. They would set up a representative. We do this today. We send out ambassadors, right, to other countries. They're representatives. They, they are in the image of, you could say, uh, whatever nation they're representing. There's this representation. God makes man in his image to represent him on earth. They are made, mankind is made, as a sort of a vice regent. We have given, been given dominion over what God creates. And that's just clear right there from verse 26, right? He makes man in his own image after his own likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the seas and the birds of the heavens and over the livestock, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so when it, what, one of the things that it has to mean in being made in God's image is that mankind is set apart to express dominion and responsibility for all that man sees. We are set apart. We are not like the other beasts of the field. Uh, there, is no, there is no comparison between, I mean, there are comparisons I suppose you can make, and the comparison has man as exalted and above all the other beasts of the field. We are imago dei. We are made in the image of God. We are his representatives. You can look down at verse 29 and see there's this farming aspect, right? God says that, that, that every, thing, every plant that yielding seed is on the face of the earth. We're called to cultivate the ground. We can look on in chapter 2, where it's, and we'll get into this in future weeks, where there's this discussion of working and keeping the ground. And so God has his image bearers in the language of, of 2.15 to work and keep his creation. We are his representation on earth. The second thing, though, that it means that by being made in God's image, is that we have, as in the image of God, <clears throat> peculiar capacities that those who are not in his image, they don't possess. We have the ability, now, you can, and this is where you can get into all sorts of just interesting discussion of where you see shades of this in other creatures. But you, not to the degree that you see it in mankind. The ability to have relationship. The ability to communicate. Well, you know, I mean pigs squeal and they kind of hear the other pig squeal and you could say they're talking they're communicating you know and and my dog recognizes certain commands I don't know a single one of her barks what they mean but uh, she must be smarter than I am no uh, there's a there's a level of communication but but no dog no pig is working on a treatise that is comprehending their own existence for future generations of pigs to understand you know, there's, there's a level of comprehension. There's a level of relationship that as Imago Dei, as the image bearers of God, that we possess that other creatures do not possess. This sense of morality that we have to be introspective, that, that does not exist out in the creature world. That is unique for image bearers. The ability to reason. To, to, to logically think through things. I mean, there is just so much that goes on in being an image bearer of God that makes us unique. But beyond even that, there is this ability to worship that we have. Because we've been given minds, because we've been created for relationship, there is this ability in the, the imago dei, in the image bearers, to have relationship back to their God. That they can knowingly, with reason, express spirituality. The ESV Bible, Study Bible, many of you have this at home, so I thought I'd just throw a quote that's a good book to study Bible to have and read. 
says this, humanity as a species is set apart from all other creatures and crowned with glory and honor as the ruler of the earth. Mankind is created not only with a physical reality, but a spiritual reality as well. We are both body and soul. Nothing that you do just to your body is just, we are this interesting uh, coming together of body and soul. That they, they are not independent. We, we have, there is no just, uh, we're not uh, Gnostics or Manichaeans where we say, you know, there's this flesh side and spiritual side. No, man is this. And when God breathes into a man, he becomes a spiritual being. That you are more than just your body. Now, your body is also very important. You're not just the spirit and your body doesn't matter. We are this interesting breathed into existence of body and soul, both mattering. God creates not only physical reality, but us with a spiritual reality as well. Body and soul breathed into by God. We know that being in the image of God <clears throat> doesn't mean that we look like him. Like we're in the image of God, so that means, oh, well, that's what, this is what God is up in heaven looking, you know, obviously like the best looking of us or something. You know, John 4, 24, God is a spirit. If you've gone through the memory, truth, and grace catechism book, uh, who is God? God is a spirit, and he has no body as we do. Okay, we just know that God is a spirit. He doesn't possess a body. I know that there's a phenomenological language that, uh, that talks about God having arms and ears and eyes, and that's, that's not, that's just, that's using poetic language to talk about God. He is a spirit. He does not have a body like we do. So then, what does it mean for us to be imago dei, to be made in the image of God. And I've just got three things here. What does it mean for us to be made in the image of God? And first, it must mean that every human being has intrinsic dignity, value, and worth. Every human being, regardless of stage of life, regardless of ethnicity, regardless of their gender, regardless of their socioeconomic status, regardless of their intelligence, uh, regardless of where they are geographically, regardless of what generation they were born in, every single human being made in the image and likeness of God has intrinsic, it, it exists within themselves, it's ontologically real. They, they possess dignity, value, and worth. A thousand other factors we could bring into these realities, these, these descriptions of the individual, and none of them would negate the reality of that being made in the image and likeness of God means that they have dignity, value, and worth. Just as another side note, this is why Christianity through its existence has been a pro-life faith. Um, we, didn't, we didn't recognize uh, uh, pro-life Sunday, whatever we call it, um, but there is this reality that we recognize the value and dignity of every life from the moment of conception, moment of fertilization, that that is an image bearer. And so that is why not for whatever uh, ridiculous accusations that may come towards Christians and their desire to see every life protected, there is a theological like conviction here that every life is, has value, dignity, and worth. It doesn't matter if the child has uh, you know, developmental delays and problems or they can diagnose some issue. Like that life is an image bearer and is deserving of protection, honor, dignity, and valuing. Because everyone is an image bearer. They are deserving of respect and protection. 
This is also why when we get into conversations in our culture today about uh, people's life choices and whatever, we, and we get the accusation against us of bigotry or of, of a phobia of some type, it, does, it flies into the face of the entire schema of Christian uh, theology, which is that you as a person, no matter if your ridiculous life choices or good life choices or whatever direction you're taking your life, you as a person are valuable. And I will do what, what, everything I can to protect you, to love you, to serve you, to honor you, to be honest with you, because you're an image bearer. We're fellow image bearers. And so you deserve value, worth, and dignity. So that the, every human being, what it means to be Imago Dei at a very basic level, every human being has dignity, value, and worth. Second thing that it means by being Imago Dei, and it's included right in the passage, God makes them, uh, let us make mankind in our image, male and female, he created them. Gender, the distinction of male and female, is hardwired into the goodness of creation. Gender is hardwired into the goodness of creation. The distinction of male and female is hardwired into creation as a good reality, which means that there is equality, (laughs) It is, is right from the start, male and female. It isn't men are here and women are down here, and women are up here and men are down here. They're, they're created by God. He, uh, there is equality, yet there is differentiation. There's male, there is female, and there is complementarity. And we get more into this, we'll, we'll talk more about this and we get to chapter 2, that they work together for the prospering of the world. There's a quality, there's differentiation, but that doesn't mean diminishment. There's a complementarity to it. Every human being has intrinsic value. The, 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 the in, in creation of gender is hardwired into the very basic reality of the humanity. And thirdly, we have a purpose to represent God, to reflect his nature and character to each other in our world. All right, we got him. What does this mean for us today? I read an article uh, this week talking about education and higher education, and they're really rustling on the college campuses with giving kids a sense of belonging, that kids are going to college and they are spending a couple of years there and they just don't feel like they belong. There's this, this, this deep, innate desire to belong, and so then they drop out. They don't finish because they don't feel like they belong there which is when the colleges care because then they start losing money and they stop graduating people and you get money involved, then they, then they really start caring. But we have a, a deeper concern, which is that there is, in, in the Imago Dei, there is in all image bearers, this deep need to belong. We, we were made for something. We were made for someone. And, and everyone intrinsically knows that we have a longing, we have a desire to belong. And I don't think you have to dig so deeply to see why there's a crisis in young adults over the sense of belonging. You look down, look at the breakdown of the family. You look down at the breakdown of so many critical structures in our world today, what it means to be human, male or female. You lose all these categories of belonging. If who you are is ultimately and entirely fluid and in a state of flux, and the pressure is entirely upon you to create your existence, then there's no real belonging. You don't belong to anyone except yourself, which is not really belonging. It's this, it's this vicious, ugly, you know, in, insular cycle. You don't belong to anything, just to yourself. 
to search to find a group to belong to becomes this overwhelmingly anxious task. Where do I belong? Where do I fit in? Who am I? Whose am I? So at a basic level, our belonging first is as image bearers. We are male or female as God has made us, created to reflect the beauty of God who made us. You have value and dignity and beauty simply as an image bearer of God. This is why the question of what does God want for me misses the point so much of the time. What does God want me to do? It's not a terrible question, what does God want me to do? But a prior question that we have to ask is not what does God want me to do, but who does God want me, who has God made me to be? Who has God made me to be? And so we hit an important turn here as Christians. We realize that our image-bearing capacity has been warped and ruined by sin. This is, this is the beauty of creation, making these image bearers to reflect back to God all of his beauty that he's poured out upon us. But we get to Genesis chapter 3, right? The fall happens, rebellion. Man says, I don't want you to be God. I'll try being God myself. And that ever since then, that image is now broken. It is marred. It is, it is obscured. It is warped and ruined by sin. So though there is a universal reality that all of mankind, and that Imago Dei is not obliterated, it isn't like the fall happens, now no one's in the image of God, no one matters. It's not obliterated, but it is broken. It's warped. It's why all, all that God has made us to be, we fall short of. That's why a passage, if you're working on memorizing the Romans road, you always go to Romans 3.23. Passage, if you've been to Awana, you've learned Romans 3.23, uh, which says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's, because the image, our image-bearing capacity is broken, we've fallen short of all that God has for us. All that God has made us to be, we fall short of. The fall is not totally obliterated, the imago dei, the image of God, but it has certainly broken it. And so, in the final analysis, bearing the image of God means being conformed to Christ. You, you, you don't... Okay, we're image bearers, and now all of a sudden, you know, actually Psalm 49 might be kind of interesting, that man is going to lift up to himself. God, here's who I am. I'm, I'm shining back to God, my, his, his image. Apart from Christ, it now cannot be done. This is what Christ has come to do, to take these broken image bearers, created to reflect the image, the glory, the, the beauty of God back to him, broken, that Christ now recreates his people, that we might shine back to Christ, shine back to God, his own glory. We are born as image bearers, but having been broken, we thus need to be born again in the image and likeness of Christ. We've been created in the image of God, but broken, so we need to be recreated in the image of Christ. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20, 24 just says this plainly, that that we are called then to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. As Christians, we are now called to not only live in God's image, which is impossible to dispose of, but to live in the image of Christ. And if you, what does that look like? Well, you can look at Ephesians 4 and you can take that home with you and just contemplate not the question, what specific thing does God have for me to do, but who does God want for me to be? God wants us to put off our old self, which belongs to our former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. That's the broken image. 
but then to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And then it goes through, put away falsehood, speak the truth, be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down in your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. Don't steal, labor, doing honest work. Don't let corrupting talk come out of your mouth. Being conformed as re-imaged in the pattern of Christ to who God has for us to be in true righteousness and true holiness. What shall we do then in light of the doctrine of the Imago Dei? First, rejoice. Marvel at what God has done. At a foundational level, it is a glad acceptance of who God is and who you are is in, in His world. It is an embrace of who you are made to be, first and foremost, God's. We should rejoice, but secondly, we should repent. Repent of our rebellion and the call, a rejection of this call to image God, not shining back to Him the beauty of what He has given us, but taking it for ourselves. We ought to rejoice, we ought to repent. Turn from that sinful pursuit. Turn to Christ who perfectly imaged God who gave his life as a substitute, the wrath that we deserve, yes, the wrath that we deserve for rebellion against him, Christ takes upon himself that his image, that his goodness, his righteousness might be given to us and so that we can repent, look to him, and discover the fullness of dignity in our union with Christ. We ought to rejoice, we ought to repent, and we ought to then reflect and seek with the help of the Holy Spirit to reflect, not reflect like, oh, think about, reflect like shine back. This is what Christ has done. This is who Christ has called me to be. This is though I broke and broke and broke an image bearer, this is who I can be recreated in Christ to be, to reflect back to each other and to the world around us. We do this so that we will be gladly living in the design that God has for us and so that God will be exalted as the glorious God that he is. Let's pray. Father, we are so dependent upon you. You are the God who not only made us, you are the God who breathed life into humanity, set us apart as your image bearers, as your as your representation here on earth and all of us in the federal headship of Adam, we all fell, rebelled, broke from that beautiful relationship that you had put between us. We died spiritually in our rebellion. And yet in your grace and your mercy, not only did you make us and put upon us your image, but that you sent your son who is the image of the invisible God, who is the perfect representation of who you are, who took his, our sin upon himself, lived the righteous life we should have lived, so that every one of us in this room this morning, confessing our transgression, confessing our sin, and looking to Jesus, might be forgiven, born again, recreated in Christ, and then empowered God, filled with your spirit, to walk out into the world and to, by, with your aid and help, reflect you to each other and to the world around us. Father, we need your help. Help us to see this. Help us to see all that Christ is for us. Help us to rest in all that he is for us and to rejoice in not only the creation 
but the new creation that you make in your people. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.